Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I am the mysterious Justin. And I am... um, The giant loving Jay. Yeah. And together... We are Crypts of the Corn podcast. That was my giant impression. Fee, fi, fo, fum. Oh, yeah. Real giants. That's the real giants. But um, their native language. Today is a, a special episode. This is the first one we're doing of this, so please be kind to us. I'm not used to researching a person, so I may have some gaps in this guy's life. But we're doing the life of Tom Slick. Tom Slick Jr., Tom Slick Jr., that's the important distinction. Yeah. There's actually a book uh, Lauren Coleman did with him, about mm-hmm. him. If I'd have known it till last night, I would have bought it. That's actually, I think I wrote it down. And there was a movie that was going to be made about it. I got it that down. Don't ruin my stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's my uh, weird facts about him at the end. Okay, cool. Do you know who's going to play him? Yeah, Don't say it. Okay. I do know. Okay. Anyways, so Tom Slick, real-life monster hunter or international criminal... Uh, hopefully by the end of this, you guys will have your own opinion. Uh, so Tom Slick Jr. is who we're talking about. He was born on May 6th, 1916, two days after my birthday. Well, not the year, but you know, May oh. 4th, baby. Say so you're old. And he passed away October 6th, 1962. Uh, he was a San Antonio, Texas-based uh, inventor, businessman, adventurer, and heir to an oil business. Um, Slick's father, Thomas... Baker Slick Sr., a.k.a. the king of the wildcatters, had a fortune in the during the Oklahoma oil boom in the 19, or 1910. Uh, he, was a, uh, he was notable for discovering Oklahoma's largest oil field uh, during you know, the big oil boom. Mm-hmm. Did, did you know that before he found that, he was known basically as being like a prospector? That, and this is Sr. Yes, his yeah. dad. He was known as being like the, his job was like to go out and just scout out the areas and then yep. lease land so they could drill it and just see if there's oil there. His nickname used to be Dry Hole Slick because he never could find any oil, but he bought up all these spots and he was in so many different areas, but he never really hit Pater ever. Mm-hmm. And I think he got fired from a couple places because he, he couldn't find oil, couldn't find anything, but he was like persistent and he was such a good business like salesman. Mm-hmm. And he could just talk his way. And then finally, you know, someone else hired him. And he went on another spot and then found that spot in Oklahoma. That's awesome. So he's, I think he was quoted to saying, uh, oh, what's the guy, the big rich, Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Like he said, I can be as rich as, I'll make a million dollars. I can be as rich as Rockefeller. What does he have, you know, that I don't, basically, intellect-wise. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, there he stuck with it and he became a... He got up there. Multi, one of the richest people in the world. Yeah, not Rockefeller level, I wouldn't say, but... right. He got darn close but for a civil, just a just a normal guy. guy, and that's a th- thing that'll come up later on. Is Slick's father before he was a millionaire in today's money, he'd have been a billionaire. Yeah, um, he was just a normal guy, and he kept that the whole his whole life. He didn't, as far as that, my reading and stuff, he never wasn't just a guy you could talk to. Like none of the Slicks seemed to get bigger than their shoes. Right, yeah, I understand what you're saying. If that makes any sense. Not, they were people. They weren't high society yeah, looking they were, down They were people, you. and they remembered they were people, unlike a lot of our rich people today that view themselves above everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't know the slicks, but from what I'm reading, from everything from like the Oklahoma history database and stuff about senior and stuff, mm-hmm. they just seem to be all around good people. Salt of the earth. They donated a lot of money to random things. Did, did I ever tell you I know the slicks? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was related to him. Oh, yeah? My aunt married a slick. She's no longer with them anymore, but 
Did she really marry a slick? Yeah, but I don't think there was any relation to the these slicks. You should find out. That'd be fun to find out. That would be. A, he'd be like, "Yeah, it's my great uncle." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Wouldn't that been weird? Mm-hmm. I'll I'll ask him. I'll ask That's kind of fun. Uh, but, um. So yeah. Anyways, Tom Slick Senior was just a very a very cool guy. Um, had the biggest like we kind of just said the largest oil field mm-hmm. at the time. In the world. Yeah, because I think what he did... Or in the country. He he actually worked for the oil companies or whatever, and then he made all of his money, and he actually retired for a little bit, and then yeah, he when started... Yeah, f- when he found that one, he was not employed by anybody. Correct. Is why he got to keep it all. And, well, I think he also put up, like, after he had retired, he had retired, he, that's when he's, he'd been away for a couple years. Then he started his own, like oil company i guess and had his own prospectors and he did it that way where he wouldn't the guy you know boots on the ground finding the land anymore he was just in control of his whole own little operation then he i think definitely made bank after he started doing that i love it all right moving on to my next <laughs> paragraph um during the 1950s slick was an adventurer he turned his attention into the expeditions investigating everything from lockett's monster Yeti, Bigfoot, the Trandies, Alps giant, Salamander, mm-hmm. Orang Pendek, and uh, animal chimeras. Which, uh, what, what is an animal We'll chim- get into it. Okay, okay. Uh, Slick's interest in cryptozoology was a little, little known until uh, the 1989 publication in biography of Tom Slick in The Search for the Yeti by Lauren Coleman. I have a bunch of Lauren Coleman's books. I don't know how I don't have this one. Uh, uh, Coleman continued to study his study of Slick in 2002 with uh, Tom Slick, True Life, Encounters, and Cryptozoology. The book mentions many of Slick's adventures in uh, politics, art, science, cryptozoology, including his in, uh, involvement with the CIA and Howard Hughes. Ooh, okay. Slick lived an amazing life. So at the end, after we get through all the cryptozoology stuff, I do have a little sheet of just Tom Slick Jr. facts. Oh, sweet. Okay. Just kind of weird little tidbits and stuff like that. For an interesting man. Mm-hmm. He was. He did a lot. You know, I think they modeled the DeSecchi's guy after him. I think so. I think I so. can see it. The most interesting man in the world. Yeah. He, they kind of look alike. Have you ever seen... Did you, did you look at the pictures of Tom Slick? Yeah. He does not look like a, a, what we would consider today a billionaire. No. no yeah. He was never dressed fancy. Uh-huh. I don't think any picture of him was ever out of uh, khakis. Right, yeah. Every picture looks like he's on an adventure. He's almost He almost died like 18 times. And that's the thing. We're going to get into a lot of his investigations and stuff. Uh-huh. He mostly headed these. Okay. He was not just until we're going to talk about an injury he had. He was not a behind-the-scenes, just paying for it kind of deal. Mm-hmm. He was out leading these expeditions and stuff like that. Kind of like, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, it's not Richard Branson. It's the it's, it's the big rich guy that w- he owned a... Uh, um. Oh, now all the names are escaping me right now. The ranch, the Bigelow, Bigelow, Robert Bigelow. Kind of reminds me of that, but uh, like not as much. Bigelow paid people to research. Exactly. It. That's what we have today. Exactly. Tom that's... Tom Slick was managing these people. If so, there's the difference. Yes, he's like, and that's what he's like. Bigelow in the fact he has the money and yes, the, and, and he's in the interest. In the but he was actually boots on the ground doing until the he couldn't. All right. Right. And then that's and then he still kind of did after he wasn't supposed to anymore, mm. which we'll get into. Kind of reminds me of you too. Yeah, I can see it. If I had money, this this the, tomorrow, we'd be out looking for things. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, he tried to buy a hoat. That's the first thing when he was young man. Um, so this is pre nineteen thirty seven. I don't have a hard year. Okay. Um, but so you know he was anywhere from, you know, around twenty years old. Okay. He tried to buy a hoat. What's a hoat? So in the National, I think it was the National Enquirer, uh, there was a claiming of pig-goat hybrids being produced in the U.S. Pig-goat. Hog-goat. Oh, gotcha. Hoat. But um, so he went to everywhere they said they were selling, where these things were. Uh-huh. Uh, he just drove there and to go look for these. Yeah. And they weren't there. So he got really mad. Hmm. So then he bought a bunch of pigs and a bunch of goats. And tried. And tried to make his own ho- hoat. Oh, no. It didn't work. Really? And that's his interest in chimeras. Mm, okay. It doesn't work. They're not. You cannot. No. I mean, the only way you can make it work is if you, like, genetically modify. And that's today, and that'd be hard. Right, yeah. But I think they're doing it, but You not, can do it, but it's not... Not so in your backyard. Yeah. It's not easy. No. And this is today, not... 
Nin- I'm going to go 19... 90 years ago? 1930. Yeah, let's just go there. 90 years ago, roughly. Yeah. It's um, But yeah. Oh, so that's the Hoat part. Uh, do you know how Tom Slick Sr., before I get too far, what does the King of the Wildcatters mean? Um... Um, I think I know. It's like yeah. Go ahead. Oil prospecting, right? Is that what it is? That's what the wildcatters were. I think the is wildcatters th- were the group of guys that they would send out to prospect the land. I think you're right to pick out the points of land first before anything was actually. So drilled. even though he sucked at it, he was persistent. Yes. He he. I guess he wasn't good at necessarily picking the spots. Although he was, because he found the biggest one ever. It's well, just he struck you know that, out. You know that story. The blind squirrel finds a nut. Yeah. Or the wrong clocks right Which, twice a day. Exactly, yes. Which the funny thing about the spot he found was he hit that oil reserve and it was huge. And then um, when it started to like dry up or wasn't producing as much, he couldn't find another spot. They ended up just taking the same spot that they were in and just drilled 300 feet deeper. And that's when they hit the giant reserve mm-hmm. that was just bigger than... Everything. It, the first one they found wasn't even connected to it at all. It was its own pocket above the giant one that was 300 feet below that one. So he got, I don't want to say lucky in the same spot, but he knew something was there. So I don't know how to balance it, whether he just was struck out early. Lucky. Like, he was lucky. I think that's, I, for yeah. everything I read, he's just lucky. He wasn't very good at it, but he kept at it. Yeah, he's persistent and um, achieved his dream. But yeah. So after the Hope incident, we're going to move up to 1937. So he was 21 years old at this point. Okay. Um, he was touring Europe with some friends. And he took the chance uh, to go and look for the Loch Ness Monster. So basically, he kind of kidnapped his group of friends and forced them as, on an expedition to look for the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> and this is the one I, I, like I said, I don't have Lauren Coleman's book. And I'm assuming it's more in the book. I couldn't find a lot on Okay. Uh, but I know he was there, and it looked like he was there for several weeks looking for this. I'm assuming just paying for fishermen to go look for this thing. Mm-hmm. But um, his big one we're going to talk about next is the Yeti and then the Bigfoot expedition he yep. did. Yep. But the Yeti is, you know, what he's known for. Right. Um, international laws were made due to Tom Slick. That's when you know you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And he in was the world. like, <laughs> like we're gonna get to. He had friends in the, like CIA. He had celebrity friends. Well, when you you're, know, he could call people that would answer and have documents change. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, and we'll get into that a little bit. He would literally. So one one of these things in Tibet we're gonna get into. He literally had to call somebody because the government said no, we're not gonna back you up on this. And he's like, fine, I'll call somebody else. And then somebody backed him up. Wow, okay. All right, so Yeti Hunter. Uh, Tom Slick was remembered today for his uh, exploits in hunting the Yeti, which was a subject uh, he became serious about in 1956. So he would be 40, right? 56, yes. 26, 36, Mm -hmm. 46, 56, yeah, 40 years old. Uh, During his trips to India, he had heard stories about the legendary creature and had become very interested in finding it. However, Slick uh, would not find these expeditions easy. He had a lot of trouble. Not because of lack of funding, obviously. Just It's hard to find Bigfoot. Well, that ain't, that's not even the trouble he was having. Oh. In, in October uh, 1956, the New York Times article was published detailing how the local government, where Slick was attempting to hunt the Yeti in Nepal, had stopped his expedition. They demanded he would be sponsored by an organization of repute or the United States government. Paul's government also forbade any foreigners from killing Yeti due to Slick's expedi- er, expeditions and others like it. In, in 1959, hmm. the State Department memo declared the United States' official position was no foreigner should kill a Yeti. Hmm. So they're acknowledging that it's there. I think so. I, 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 the U.S. government, I just think, didn't want to deal with him. Yeah. Because at this point, he kind of had a little bit of reputation. What well, was that the U.S. government making that or Nepal's well, the, they, government? Nepal said, we don't want any foreigner killing it. They believed the Yeti 100%. There we go. That's what I'm saying. But the, the Nepal basically stopped him and said, you're not continuing this until either your government sponsors you mm. or uh, rep, uh, basically an institution, high-end institution right. is what that means, that organization of repute. Mm-hmm. So he was like, so he Thompson can ask the government and they're like, no, we're going to agree with Nepal here. Yeah. Uh, that, no, you shouldn't kill it, uh, Yeti. But, you know, Tom is Tom. He's got resources. 
Uh, so, do you have something to say before I, was I move just on? Saying, well, when you're one of the richest heirs, I guess, in the world. At this point, he had the money. Yeah. I would just. I think his father has passed at this point, and he has. I think his dad died in the 50s, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, I think his dad had passed at this time, is kind of why he started going on these expeditions. Mm, okay. Is that, you know, not saying his dad was stopping him, because he wasn't. Right. Uh, but, you know, just freedom. It was his up. only family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so he just, you know, started traveling. Um, so Slick kind of got mad that the government kind of said, you know, we're not going to go. So because of this declaration of Paul's government, Slick had to find alternative methods to continue his hunt for the Yeti. He obtained a letter of assignment from the San Antonio Zoological Society, which let him legitimately to continue his expeditions. So basically, and that's kind of an organization he was donating a lot of money to. Mm, Okay. And, but so he... Great favor with them. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so he got to continue looking for this Yeti. Um, so now we're going to, so a year later, I believe, yeah, I don't know, not a year later, but uh, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. During this uh, 1957 trip, Slick tracked down a self-identified, or, so he tracked down self-identified witnesses and showed them a series of 20 pictures of animals that scientists uh, had pointed at that determined that people might be confusing with the Yeti. Okay. After conducting these interviews, Slick formed the theory that there were two distinct species of Yeti. One that was eight foot tall and covered in black hair, and another one that was uh, smaller and red and had reddish hair. During this trip, Slick also f- uh, made cast of prints, some of which were uh, unlike many other Yeti prints, found in uh, mud as opposed to the snow. Mm-hmm. They took pictures with them, or they took pictures with them as well as collected hair and droppings potentially uh, from the creature. So he was finding a lot of these were not white creatures. Like, we see the modern Yeti depicted as being, a, like, the abominable snowman, all white. Yeah. There was, like, a a, black, a Bigfoot, and then an orangutan deck. Like a little small reddish Red version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, if people don't know what orangutan deck is, it's like a, I would say, a, almost like a human-like cryptid, like Bigfoot, mm-hmm. but small. like Small, red, Vietnam rock, apes are probably the same thing. Mm. That same area. Uh, yeah, they're kind of the Asian small man. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of theories that they're Hobo Habilis or the Hobbit Man. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of theories that they're actually people. Which I don't... I, can, I, I see. I, I think that's what yeah. they are. I don't rule that out at all. Yeah, I think, I think they're... Because I think human, ancient Hobbit human people definitely did exist. Oh, we have their skeletons. We know they exist. Exactly. We even found their little villages and their mm-hmm. little homes and stuff. In they actually areas. domesticated elephants. They what? A pygmy elephant. They domesticated. Oh, they domesticated. Oh, see, look at them go. Mm-hmm. But then uh, big people moved in, and it wasn't very good for them. No, probably not. <laughs> um, but Slick um, injured his knee after this journey on a bus crash. Oh, assassination That's, attempt? No, I just think he had a lot of problems. Hmm. I think he was an adventurer. Yeah, maybe too much to where mm. they're trying to take him out by crashing. Well, no, he had friends in the CIA and stuff. You know, the people that normally... Well, true. We point out that disappear people were his buddies. Uh, yeah, that's so <laughs> yeah, true. There wasn't many people that were probably be pointing at him to make him disappear. So I probably can't take that angle on this. this I don't story. think so, because they had tea. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so we're gonna move on to uh, this is the move we're gonna talk about next that Slick did that kind of puts him in a bad light, and. I don't know how you want to point at this. He was very driven to prove the existence of these creatures, and that is his justification for what he did in this next scene I'm going to give you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's a it's a religious thing. And, you know, so that's what we're going to... I'll just tell you, and then we'll go over it. Okay. So this next part's called the Yeti Smuggler. Unfortunately, though, uh, this trip was his last in Nepal, and Slick would... Uh, he'd personally head up. He had others after, but due to his knee injury during this trip. Uh, During the bus ride, the vehicle lost his brakes. Uh, While trying to get out of the bus, Slick landed hard on his knee and then injured them permanently. However, Slick would continue to finance expeditions to continue to search for the Yeti. In addition to financing uh, other expeditions, he included some involvement in search for the Orang Appendix in Sumatra, which I'll bring back up again later. Okay. We're just going to skim over that right now. Uh, one such expedition happened the following year, 1958. On this expedition, slick men turned up the photographs of the supposed Yeti scalp uh, that were being kept as relics at a... I think they're called monasteries there still. 
Okay. Like uh, monks. Okay, yeah, I think so. Um, Slick was able to personally debunk. Uh, the, so there was a hand and scalps and stuff like that. One hand he was personally able to debunk. The second alleged Yeti hand, uh, this one was mummified, was harder to disprove due to its proportions. Mm, okay. I think I've heard about this one before, too. Yeah, this is the one who got in trouble. Yeah. Uh, Slick had to find a way to get the supposed Yeti hand out of Nepal. Uh, he contacted the... Uh, He conducted a kind of a scheme. This is this. I just feel bad because you know I want to like the guy, but this is kind of bad. Yeah. Um, well, let's hear what he did with his fellow uh, explorer Peter Byrne, and actor Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, you know who he is. I do. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's a big famous actor. But this had to be way back in the day. Yeah, he's dead now. Well, yeah. Probably if I saw him. Yeah. Who, uh, who was on va- uh, vacation at the time in Calcutta? Uh, to, so he got a hold of him to help him uh, get evidence of the mummified hand in the monastery to where it was being held. So basically, they had these three guys. Slick wasn't there, but Peter Burns was, and actor Jimmy Stewart was. Burns, uh, assisted by some of Slick's men, convinced some of the monks at the monastery to switch the Yeti fingers for human ones. Uh, Slick's men were able to take the thumb and... Phallix, uh one of the basically a finger. I think the pointer, phalan. Yeah, it's a yeah. phalange. Yeah. Oh, if that's just a from finger, the then. hand and uh, pass them off to Stewart. Stewart was uh, then able to smuggle the bones out of the country in his luggage. He then passed them off to a primatologist professor, William Osmond Hill. Hill performed tests of the bones and concluded that they were not human. Hmm. But at this point in history, they seemed to disappear. Oh wow. The bones eventually were found again and were on display at the Hunterman Museum of the Royal uh, College of Surgeons for some time. A DNA test done by the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland concluded that the bones were in fact human. Hmm. Um, first thing, when you when you first said, uh, this is where they disappeared, then they reappeared, the first thought in my head is, that's not the same thing. That's that re- They reappeared. That's what a lot of people go with. Yeah. And I do not disagree. Uh-huh. Uh, they disappeared. Nope, they're here, actually, and they're human. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah. So at this point, though, I'm... So so what you're saying is he... Basically, he, he orchestrated... They had this Bigfoot... Uh, so let me see if I get this right. Yes. There, He's at this monastery in Nepal, and they got this Bigfoot hand skeleton that basically is a relic or... Thing. Yeti. Well, yeah. yeah, Because yeah, to these, true. these monks, it was more of a spiritual thing. Right. Yeah. And this relic was... A representation of something basically but it basically was a trophy let's just put it that way yeah in, sure. in a sense of a way he took bones off the trophy and substituted human bones in its place he didn't take the whole hand just cer- certain portions he took of the it. pointer finger and the thumb and then replaced them and then okay i guess i mean that's not the worst thing he could have done so well th- put it like this say he went to a church mm-hmm and stole something off the pulpit and replaced it with something else. Yeah, that's not good. That's not. I mean, that's it's not. It, but it's not like stealing the whole thing, though, either. Could have been worse. It's still stealing. It is, yeah. It is. But I can I can see where he where, he, where he's coming from because you I think you he want got blinded so, a little bit, and then it didn't yeah, matter. Because you want evidence so bad, and there it is. It's literally right there. What? Who's more reputable than these monks, you know? And then it, then it didn't matter. Yeah, because you know he crossed the line. Well, th- well, then it disappeared and stuff like that. And it just makes everything worse because now they're not getting their their actual bones back, which mm-hmm. which I believe, in my mind, probably was authentic. Would be my guess. Yeah, I bet that hand was authentic to begin with, and now he kind of screwed all that up. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of nothing. Yeah. All right. So a change in methods. So, being able to return to Nepal, Slick changed his focus and turned his attention into hunting the American Sasquatch. He personally headed up multiple field expeditions in the Pacific Northwest, discovering tracks and making cast footprints. Eventually, Slick's hunting methods had changed. So, Slick's original goals were to kill one of these things mm-hmm. uh, to prove they existed. And then he kind of changed to trapping them. And the more he did it, the more he's just like, photos. Let's just get good photos. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's, 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 a, it's a man maturing. That, and it seems to be a common theme in Bigfoot research. I think it is. I think it's just the more you get into the subject, the more you're like, I don't want to kill one of these things. Mm-hmm. 
And I really think it was him maturing more, uh, calming down a little bit with how he was looking at the subject as a whole. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of a reflection on most people, too. Another thing, so this is, you know, kind of a hearsay one, why he kind of stopped doing the Nepal trips is because there was a lot of infighting with the crew he had, Mm. and he was unable to be over there anymore. Yeah. So he's like, I want him closer so I can manage these people. Right, that makes a lot more sense. And after doing what you did in Nepal... Yeah, I don't think he was... I'd be a little ashamed, yeah, to go back. All right. I I imagine in my head he had the most best intentions of if this thing turned up had Bigfoot DNA, he would have returned it back to them, but he just needed that confirmation. Unfortunately, he just never got him back. That's what it seems like to me. So what did you research for the Bigfoot hunt he did? So I don't really know much about the Bigfoot hunt. Um, I know I know about the salamander hunt pretty well. Yeah, we'll get into that in the ring appendix hunt. This is the one I was having tr- most trouble finding. Stuff about? Yeah. Okay. Because I think it's all locked up in books, so mm. it's not free. Mm, okay. And I normally would buy the book, but I just didn't have time. But um, I, yeah, it's, it's, there's not a lot to it. But basically, I know he went horse. He, they organized a huge horseback riding expedition in uh, to the Pacific Northwest. And I'm not sure which uh, temperate rainforest they picked, but okay. it was, the camps were huge. These were not small expeditions. I think there was like around three base camps, you know, 20 to 30 men. In each one? Yeah. It was big. It was a big thing. Okay. And they horseback rode, you know, they horsebacked in like days at a time. I have a little thing about it, but this source isn't very credible, so I don't want to read it, you know, verbatim. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of like what he did looking for Bigfoot. Here in in, in the U.S. after being booted out, and of he Nepal. did that a lot. But on the way, looking for Bigfoot, uh, he was with his son, which doesn't come up a whole lot. What's his son's name? I don't know. Mm, doesn't come up. It's he, it's so weird. What's really public about this guy, and what's and not? what's not? Almost like he could be a CIA plant. I don't bum, think bum, so. Bum, bum. Yeah, I, know. I just I don't think, think so either. he was just a fun man. But <laughs> on his way, kind of mid, like as at the start of this Bigfoot expedition, he's like, okay, which well, last week's episode, the Trandy's Alps giant salamander, he pulled over and he was like, we're going to go look for this thing for a couple weeks because mm-hmm. my son's here and he can't go on the Bigfoot expedition with us, but he can look for this thing. Yeah. So he had, I love this story. He had all these Bigfoot researchers that were as far as some of the, what I've read were fighting a lot. These these kids, it was what they were acting like. And some, you know, depending on who you read, weren't getting along. And he was kind of like, okay, we're going to go do something a little more relaxing. We're going to change the flow here. Yeah. So we had all of these Bigfoot researchers going through this creek looking for salamanders. And I can just see all these begrudging Bigfoot researchers. Yeah. Like, I don't want to look for no salamander. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. I got one in the net. Okay, that's just a Pacific giant salamander. <sighs> Dumps it back in. Yeah. yeah. Why can't I imagine? Why can't I imagine? Like, is this you in a former life? It might be if you want to believe that stuff. If I had money, I would. I would love to pay these kind of people, but especially <laughs> these people, depending on who you read, were making him upset because yeah. he was paying for their dreams. Yeah. yeah. And they were fighting about. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was kind of like, okay, well, here you go. This we're going to is- go look for a salamander. <laughs> yeah. And so I can just see like four or five guys that hate each other. Absolutely. At this point, cause they'd been in the Himalayas with each other. They'd done some stuff with Tom stick before these guys hate each other. Some of them. Yeah. And now they're forced to stand in a cold creek, flipping over rocks, looking for looking for salamanders. Yep. Oh, that's so funny. And then every time I can see, because I don't know if any of them were even supposedly, you know, capable of ID on a salamander. The guys in the crew. Yeah. Well, not if you're a Bigfoot expert, I would imagine. Because well, you taught me like a few things about salamanders. It's hard. It's extremely hard. Uh, but I could just see like. <sighs> And then they go over to Tom. What is, is this it? No, that's just another giant Pacific salamander. Yeah, yeah. Just put it back. 
<sighs> All right. He puts it back and they catch a little one that's like, I don't know, a red cheek salmon or something. Is this it? And it's like a pencil. Yeah. No, yeah. we're looking for something a little bigger than that. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I get to see that for hours and hours for weeks. I would imagine they quit after. No, 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 no. They weren't quitting. This is their only paycheck for a long time that was oh, okay. a substantial paycheck. And then after this, they were going to look for Bigfoot. Yeah. So he had these people. And I just, I just love this image of him forcing these, this, these, I just love it. Well, and, when you got the money in the, you're the one organizing everything. Why not? You know? And I can just see like, I, I can see Tom doing it out of spite. Yeah. Just be like, hey, you guys want to fight? I'll give you something to fight about. <laughs> Here, go stand in this cold creek for the next two weeks, flipping over rocks, looking for a salamander. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds delightful yeah. i was gonna say it doesn't sound terrible it sounds no, like some... to me it was a dream yeah i really do that to look for bigfoot <laughs> well hmm. 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 that's all we're gonna say about that hmm. <laughs> so that's his uh work in the trannies alpstein salmon but i don't have a lot on his bigfoot expedition i know it is a very intense bigfoot expedition everything with like i think he had like camera traps and stuff like that okay the ones I, I knew morally, more, morally, I knew more about the the Yeti experience. They, that's that his stuff. big one. That's his big claim to fame. Yeah, that's where he spent a ton of money. That's where he was at constantly for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. He was there constantly. Mm-hmm. And then you know he kind of got not ran out of the country, but he was not invited back on good terms, which is his own fault. I think so. Yeah. So that's where you know you get the kind of the international criminal aspect of Tom right. Slick. I still. And I just think he was very blinded. By, yeah, I would agree. I don't think he had bad intentions at all whatsoever. It just happened in the heat mm-hmm. of the moment. There's this. You know, it's got to be real. I just want it. I want to test it. <laughs> like, I get it. So he also funded, as we spoke about earlier, a research team for the Ring Appendix. Mm, okay. I have pretty much nothing on it. That's maybe that's because he this is the only one I could find he had no heading part of. He was not there. Oh, he just funded it. He just funded it. He just paid these guys to go look for the wrong appendix. Interesting. I don't know what countries he looked in. I couldn't find nothing on it besides people saying, yes, he funded an orang appendix research team that he was not a part of. Okay, gotcha. And we're going to get into some facts about his life here in a minute. He did that a lot. Oh, really? Okay. So I could see maybe he just got lost in the shuffle. He, he could have forgot he was writing a check for it. Right, yeah. Because he was writing a check for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of money. I mean, he was... This man had a lot of money flowing out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Not a whole lot flowing back in. Not he like- had some investments, and we'll get into some of his inv- inventions. He actually had a, a a patent that's amazing. Oh. Which we'll, we'll talk about later. That I don't know about. Yeah. He, had, he was the inventor, too. We'll, we'll yep, get into that later. You mentioned that in the beginning. He has got all kinds of weird stuff. Awesome. So he's just an eccentric mind. My favorite kinds of people. So like, uh, so that's pretty much it for the, the cryptid research. Yeah. Okay. So those are the cryptids he really tackled. That's awesome that it's just a, a rich guy. I don't, I don't want to con- refer to him as just a rich guy, but let's just say a guy with a lot of money. Today's and, and, a, a billionaire. I mean, yeah. like you said, Bigelow. Yeah. I can see a lot of similarities with Bigelow. Bigelow and the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. A mix. And we'll talk about why we think that the Dozakis guy may be modeled off him more. Because, like, yeah, we'll talk about with the movie and everything. Okay. Um, But Slick was friends with many celebrities, including uh, Hughes, uh, his fellow, you know, Jimmy Stewart. uh, Yeah, which we know he helped steal. Lauren Coleman. Uh, yeah. So Lauren Coleman was the one that discovered Slick's files and confirmed them with Stuart before his death about stealing the hand. Oh, wow. That was not a public story. That was cut hush-hush. Wow, okay. So Coleman's uh, research is what pulled that out. Kind of uncovered that. And he got it verified before Stuart died. That's awesome. That is so cool. Um, but yeah, so anything you want to talk about before we leave the cryptid investigation part? When we come back to it at the end, too. Uh, I just think it's awesome that he spent his time and energy um, not just looking for these things, but seriously looking for money. Like, he spent a lot of money mm-hmm. and a lot of his own man hours. Exactly. He, he was not a, a sidelines guy. No, he put his own energy into trying to figure this out. And that's what's better than that, you know, and thinking and, of somebody. And he had a 
in this field at least. Yeah, uh, a love of all cryptids, as we've seen with what he looked for. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yeti was his was his passion with the Bigfoot for sure, but and he really wanted the Loch Ness monster. But he kind of felt in my boat that it was probably dead or out the door. Yeah, or going out the door when it, he was started looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, or the you know the population in the Loch were just not there anymore. Right. Yep. Um, the salamanders, he fully 100% believe they were there and he never did find them did he and he was going to come back for him but yeah we'll talk about his death okay so he did have plans to keep going for bigfoot and the salamanders because mm-hmm. I, I can almost imagine they both might inhabit the same area yeah they were i mean that's why he did it they were literally it was on the way okay gotcha so he was passing through the habitat of another really big cryptid looking for a really big cryptid so right, he's like, let's yeah. stop and look for this one right yeah um but yeah so Another thing that Slick is famous for is Slick founded several research organizations. The beginning is the forerunner of the Texas Bio- Biomedical Research Institute in 1941. That's awesome. So a giant biomedical lab. At least I hope that's awesome. Yes. I think it's a, I think it's a good institute. Okay. It's not one of our weird ones. R- right. I, that- think it, I think all the things he funded have a very, very strong... Positive out. Moral Outlook. moral code okay, that they follow. Good. And they're all pretty tied to each other still. That's good, too. Um, they're kind of like his kids. He had kids. Or he had a kid, as far as I know from my research. Mm-hmm. But Slick didn't let a lot of his projects run away without his supervision. Okay. And, you know, so he hammered a lot of details into a lot of these things he founded. Um, his most well-known legacy, though, is the nonprofit Southwest Research Institute the SWIR is what it's, you know, its abbreviation is, where he founded 1947 to seek revolutionary advancements in technology. The SWIR continues to advance pure and applied sciences in varied fields from lubrications to motor fuel formulations to solar physics to planetary sciences. He also, and then the other institute he founded was the Mind Science Foundation in San Antonio in 1958. And this is consciousness research. This is that's baseline. So it studies basically. You want to think of any mind power, and it's, they're all three still around. They all still three have funding. Hmm. And as far as I find, the mind science or the mind science foundation is not one of the. If you want to call it the weird ones, like MK Ultra stuff. Not. I don't think it's that far down that line. Okay. I think they are more not. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> but um, when you're doing consciousness research, like that's, I, I don't feel like it's too much of a studied thing today, really. Yeah, but as far as I know, all three of these institutions are still around. Hmm. And there's actually in San Antonio, Texas, there's the Tom Slick Park. I did read about this. And this park is awesome. It has nesting in the pond. Yep. It has the Yeti footprints. Uh huh. On the under the playground. Equipment. It has all of the other cryptids he's looked for hidden in the playground. That's awesome. That's fun. The trainees out salamanders there. The ring appendix there, and a couple other uh, bigfoots there and stuff like that. I mean, I've kind of had that idea for the bowling alley here in town. That'd be awesome. I'll, I'll help you do it. I would like to make it cryptid theme. I thought that would just be a fun. What would your mom and dad say? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think my. I think they like. These sort of things, I don't know if they I do. I think they enjoy. I think my dad definitely believes in most of it and definitely enjoys it. I think my mom enjoys it, but may not necessarily believe so I much. think your mom is supportive. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I talked to her about it. You don't talk to him about it. I talk to your parents about this stuff. I don't think it's something she'd want to put her name on, though. With no, the, I agree. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, so he founded amazing research. And these are, as far as I know, these are all nonprofits. Uh, and they're all still around today. As far as I my research went, um, so he not only went to do stuff for himself. Mm-hmm. This is somebody with the forethought to plan for the future. Gotcha. These institutions, I think this is all my speculation on the man's mind. This was something he wanted to leave behind that would kind of continue these researches. Yeah, I could see that. And he was not just. We're talking mainly about his cryptid and stuff, mm-hmm. but that was not the only thing he did. He was an amazing inventor. And that's what the, the you know the middle one the SWIR you know everything from fuels to lubricants to solar panels to planetary science. Hmm. Tom Slick was a very bright man, ad or an advocate or an early uh, what's the early uh, pioneer in that field? Maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think and then uh, the, one of their big claims to fame is solar technology. Okay, 
uh, I can't, I, I found it and I, I don't have it here, but it was some kind of new solar technology they just came out with recently. I was just going to say, like, look at there's, it. Like, they're still on the cutting edge and they've been uh, around since the 40s. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's, what is it, 60 years or almost, let's mm-hmm. just say 50 years later, they're still on the front forefront of, because of what we're doing today, technology wise, trying to get power, solar panels are one of the, probably the biggest alternative energy, you know? Wind's probably second, would be mm-hmm. my guess. I really don't know how all this ranks. We need, I don't like hydro yeah. because it just destroys river environments. Mm, okay. So it's it's a clean energy, but it costs a lot of river. You would think there would be a lot better way to do it. You're putting a big blade in the middle of a river. Exactly. That's probably not the best way to do it. I mean, that's it. Uh, well, anyways, well, that's not our... So in Another ni- episode. So here's his patent we're going to talk about. Okay. In 1955, he was awarded a patent for a lift slab method of construction concrete buildings. I don't know what that is. I don't know either, but it sounds interesting. So as far as I looked into, it's still used today. Lift slab method? Yeah, and that's kind of where a lot of his money came from, his income. Okay. Not just his inheritance. Hmm. So in 1955, and it's kind of how I think, now I'm not a construction expert. It's very actually very, very far from my knowledge but I think you you see how they basically they build like the concrete slabs of buildings and then they kind of stack them together yeah. in the air. I think that's what that is. Okay. I think he invented that. Interesting. And it's still how we put big buildings together today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it definitely. I'm I'm might have to look this up when we're done. But yeah, so he invented that. Okay. Lift slab method. Another weird thing that I kept seeing pop up with Tom Slick's name, Tom Slick Jr. He was a giant advocate for world peace. Oh, awesome. He was weird. He was a weird guy. I love him. In 1958, he published the book uh, Permanent Peace, a check and balance plan. That's the name of the book. He he funded the Tom Slick World Peace Lectures at the LBJ Library and the Tom Slick uh, Professorship of World Peace at the University of Texas. Hmm. Interesting. So he had all these, he set all this stuff up for world peace and encouraging people to look at how we could do world peace. Right, yeah. So, as we've already mentioned, there was going to be a movie, and the title was Tom Slick Monster Hunter. <laughs> the project is still stated as stalled. Really? So it's not out of the window yet. I want it so freaking bad. And, and do you know who was, I know you know, you know who was going to play Tom Slick? You want me to reveal it? Yeah. Nick Cage. I think, I think he'd have been good at it. Probably. Because Nick Cage kind of plays, some of his roles, he does play a normal guy. Yeah. And that's what I think Tom Slick is, like, a normal guy that has um, abnormal means and does abnormal things. I would agree. And, yeah, it was just crazy. I'm like, I want that movie so it, bad. Yeah, I know, right? I, I can't imagine how sensationalized it will be, though. If it, it's, if it wouldn't need be. much sensationalization. True. His real life was crazy. <laughs> that's true. I'm advocating world peace, the same year I'm looking for the Yeti. Yeah. Um, I just got kicked out of the Himalayas. See, uh, yeah, that's funny. It seems like uh, people that would, I don't know, he seems like a lot of people in, our, in this community, you know, searching for Bigfoot cryptos are all... Very, I would say, nice people, just on the positive side of things for the mm-hmm. most part. And then now look at this guy, one of the biggest ones ever, literally out there calling for world peace. You know, and here's what I'll say about our community, yeah, for the Bigfoot that encrypted community in general. Mm-hmm. Nice, like you said, just like you said, yeah, nine hundred people, super nice. Uh, I know there's some TV personalities that come off as not nice, but in person they're very nice, right? Yeah, and you know, it's just it's the exact opposite of the UFO community. <laughs> everything i'm not a big part of the ufo community everything i've ever heard are they're very toxic and they just destroy each mm. other almost makes you think ufos aliens aren't real because it's just toxic if it becomes out of that or bigfoot it's usually positive mm-hmm. i mean it might have some realness to it i can see that because it, it's like truth doesn't hide the bigfoot community argues and it doesn't seem to ever turn to these blood feuds that the mm-hmm. uh ufo community turns to right like a I heard this quote, truth doesn't mind being questioned, whereas lies, like, hate being questioned. Yeah, I, I know like, the quote, and I can't think of it either. Something like that. But yes. But, I mean, it makes sense. I think I think you're right. And I don't know what the UFOs are, then. We know they exist. We have our own thoughts. But I don't want to go to a UFO thing. Yeah. They scare me. 
Yeah. I've literally watched YouTube videos of them ripping each other apart. <laughs> like two roosters going at it. UFOs or people? People. Okay. UFO okay. people. That's, yeah, yeah, They, they yeah. just get into these blood feuds. They take everything so, like, to heart, personally. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. about the idea. And that's, I think, I think the Bigfoot community is a lot better at that. That it's, you know, when you're ar- not arguing, when you're having a lectured conversation. There you go. Uh, that have different ideas that you're not attacking the person you're talking about your different views on the same idea yes. idea of something yes and i think the ufo community has forgotten that aspect that it's not because it seems like they go right for the person <laughs> yeah all right back to tom's like that's a enough rant about the ufo community that's okay um slick was an avid modern art collector hey that's awesome his collection was surveyed by the McNan Art Museum and was exhibited in catalog titled Tom Slick, International Art Collector. Oh, I would be very interested in seeing I'm what... trying to find it. Yeah. It's not on display right now, I don't believe, huh. but his collection is still one piece and it still goes out, I think, from time to time. I would be very interested in I seeing I want to go see it. Because did I tell you I went to art school for four years? Mm-hmm. Or maybe at least two years I... officially, but... I didn't know. He just seems like an eccentric person. I'd like to see what art. I want to see what he thought was good art. Art. I agree with that, yeah. I'm very interested in that. But it says that he almost exclusively collected modern art. Which, I mean, modern art's... I like modern art. I was saying, it's just, he wasn't... It can be... Modern art can go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. It can be very awesome, or it can be complete dog crap. Like the big red circle in the middle of a canvas, and you're like, this is art. That's the Japanese flag. I know. Oh, okay. I'm just joking <laughs> with no, you. No, I've seen that no, in, the, in the Columbus Art Museum. Oh, yeah. Like a big, just a circle, and I'm like, that's not art. Have you seen the blue paintings? It's like it's blue canvas with blue on it, and then other shades of blue, just squares. Yeah, that's not on. art. It is in its sense, but it's, it's not, not. It's not what it's... It's, everything's it's, art but it's not it's a thought behind it and there's technique behind it to get it to look the way it did but at the end of the day it's what you're looking at <laughs> it's talent and passion and thought is what makes art i agree i agree i agree but this those i hate those are the the stupid leaking bucket ones oh the, where they spin the buckets and do all that stuff. Oh, and yeah, like, This yeah. is a $10,000 piece of art. Which, like, no, it's not. Don't get me wrong. Very it cool. looks cool. Looks I cool. can do that in the garage. Right, exactly. I'm not an artist. Exactly. If I can do it, that's not art. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'd like to see his collection. Um, I don't know where it's at today, you know, but... We'll track it down. We'll find it. We'll look it. into it. Well, that'll be our cryptid hunt. Now, as we reach the end of Tom Slick's life, we're going to talk about his death. And he died how I'd expect him to die. Did he uh, jump out of a plane and... Close. You're not too far off. Okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's why... I, uh, on October 6, 1962, Slick was returning from a Canadian hunting trip. Uh, he was also an avid big game hunter. Mm, cool. Uh, when his airplane crashed in Montana, reportedly the aircraft disintegrated in flight. The wing broke and the uh, violent winds just sheared him over the mountains. Holy moly. So he was turned to red paste over the mountain range in Montana. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a way to go. Oh, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's a very... Oh, that's awful. That stinks that that's how it went out. I wonder if it was sabotage involved. I don't think so. I think he lived very recklessly at some points. Yeah, but to have your plane disintegrate when you're like a millionaire? That, that happens. Yeah, I guess. We're all stuck in the 60s. It's now. I mean, we our technology was much more advanced than we can we ever imagined. You know, we had like electric scooters. I don't think this plane was a uh, in the 1917, right? I don't think this plane was a uh, a very advanced plane. I think it was a puddle jumper. Yeah, from what I was reading, because mm-hmm. uh, he was like flying into these lakes and stuff to hunt out of and stuff. So yeah, these planes had to be very small to do this. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what the issue was. Dang, it wasn't like his. His personal plane to go from country to country. Right, This yeah. is a puddle jumper. Okay. That still stinks, though. That that was the way it went out. But that's how I'd imagine him to die. That's I mean, true. Really, he, like... He was on an adventure, and... Yeah. And his plane exploded. Over a mountain. And he got turned to red paste over a mountain. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, they didn't look for him too hard, either, because uh, when they found the plane shrapnel... Yeah. That's why they think it disintegrated midair. Hmm, okay. Because it was, like, confetti. Dang. Which happens to these planes. I was reading more about it because I was kind of looking into it because I was worried. I was wondering if it was a mysterious thing or not. Yeah. And it's not. It happens. Okay. Uh, basically, once one wing goes, the plane just turns on itself and eats itself. Yeah, I can see that. Especially if it's small and you're over a mountain. Mm-hmm. 
you got to be pretty high up there. And it was very windy. Yeah. Like extreme. That can be pretty vicious. And like I said, it's a puddle jumper plane. They're not the best planes. Right, yeah. Because they have to be small to land on these lakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't small need, and light. Yeah, yeah, they need to be. So I'm going to, before we get into our just conversation about Tom, uh, I'm going to thank our sources. I'm going to start doing this more. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia. Um, the explorer.com. And then a YouTube channel. You want to... Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, this YouTube channel only has 500 uh, uh, subscribers. subscribers. Okay. It's called... It looks like Pakash Plays, but I'm going to spell it for you guys. P-A-X-A-S-H-P-L-A-Y-S. So it's Pakash, P-A-X-A-S-H, Plays on YouTube. Okay. So now we're in the free discussion. Sorry, everybody at home. That was about 50 minutes of me just reading off of paper. No, that's but awesome. He has a crazy life. And there's a lot more here to, I think, pick at. I think. Yeah, I didn't go. We really didn't go into the Bigfoot hunt. We it, didn't really go into the Loch Ness Monster hunt. Or the Orang Pandak funding. There is you know? not much there for the Orang Pandak. Okay. I think there's a lot to the Bigfoot, but I think it's all locked behind paywalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, the Orang Pandak, I think he kind of forgot about. And he kind of died before it ever anything ever materialized yeah. from it, because I think there's something. I think he could have found something to that for sure. But I think he was a man. See, here's the thing. He he had a hard focus on the Yeti, and I think he was getting close. And then he had an injury where he couldn't go back anymore, and might have overstepped his. I uh, think he uh, yeah. So boundaries. He, he couldn't control the team from you know. A country away in the 50s right so i think that's what, so he pulled him back to the u.s and i just think he was just getting started and do his u.s stuff i mean what when did i just say he died 62 so it's not long after he started the u.s investigation no not at all so he wasn't like I, he died in a plane crash he didn't die of old age or nothing right i mean 19 uh, 1916 to 1962 i hope his son wasn't in that plane crash with him I, maybe that's why I can't find anything about him. Yeah, I hope not. I don't. I don't know. And I really can't find anything about his rest of his family, his wife, or anything. I don't know if he had a wife or mm. mistress or whatever. I'll ask my ex uncle. It, it might be your ex uncle. Yeah. What if that's his son? That would be no. I know that's not because I know his dad's name, and his dad might want to be on this podcast too. Ooh. He's, a, he's a UFO guy. There we go. Yeah. Was <laughs> he gonna fight another UFO guy? I hope not. No, I don't think he's like. I think he's cryptid UFO, just okay. like just in like general. Us. Yeah, but he's an older feller. But uh, I thought this is another side tangent about the UFOs. Now you brought it back up. Uh huh. We just need to start having these cage matches for these old white guys at these UFO conferences and start fighting out their problems. Hey, we'll put that up at our next booth or our next uh, conference. Well, set up a cage, mm-hmm. like the just because it's pretty much these old white guys that just hate each other's guts. So I just like. And you know, it might bring them together. Give them some boxing gloves and yep. just let them settle it. And then there, there you go. Now there you go, friends. nerds. Let's bring, <laughs> let's bring the community together by fighting. Uh, men used to be amazing with that. Just to, you punch it out. You don't kill each other. No, you just fight. But and, you a little bit. And then when one person your gives, testosterone drops and your yeah. adrenaline drops, and you're like, okay, we both were, you know, maybe a little too hard headed on this. And you just beat the crap out of me. Yeah, well, they both, you know. I've had fights like that, and we're you know I'm we're both fine after that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You get into wrestling matches with your friends. Wrestling, get yeah. I got. I mean, me and my friend we wrestled so hard. I finally got him, but I threw up after from exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I ever threw up from exhaustion. I was just fighting my friend because I wasn't gonna lose. All right. So with Tom Slick, I feel like he was just he died too young. Yeah. I think he would have got somewhere. I think he would have had one something. I think he was well on his way to doing the right things. And I think he really changed his opinions. Like, you could tell through his life, like, I think the Himalaya incident was a big wake-up call for him. Yeah. And he kind of went from, you know, we're going to kill one of these things to prove they exist to, let's just try to catch one. And then after that was, he's just like, just, just get pictures. At that point, he was just there to prove it to himself. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yep. At the end of his, well, I mean, he died young, or not young, but he died early. At the end, it was just trying to prove it to him. Mm-hmm. And that's all he wanted. He mm-hmm. just wanted a picture from one of his crews. And it would have been better if he was there, but it didn't have to be. He'd just be like, okay. 
that's $5 billion. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, Boy, and, he'd been ha- and he wasn't unhappy with his crew's success rates or anything like that because mm-hmm. his crews did have a lot of, him and his crews did have a lot of proof they found. Like as far as samples? And samples, uh, I think. Foot cast. And I, like I said, I haven't read the Lauren Coleman's Bigfoot book with him yet. Mm-hmm. But I think they had encounters. Okay. I think they were on the edge of getting somewhere. Like Class B encounters, maybe? Yeah. I, well, I think even he had some A's. I think they seen a creature. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the most interesting man in the world. And that's what the Dozaki's got. This is the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. Not only is he a monster hunter, oil tycoon, construction inventor, uh, energy inventor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parapsychology. He went for telepathy and stuff like that. He thought there was something there. So he he wasn't going to research it, but he made a funded research institution to study it. Right, exactly. Hey, look at this while I'm gone. Uh, his one, the SWRI. Yeah. Um, I just looked, the video I was watching on it last night, I think they employ around 2,000 people. Oh, okay. It is not a small research institute. No, not at all. Hmm. And you never see them in the news or nothing like that. And that's why I think they're kind of a, a cleaner organization. Because they're not, they're hmm. non-profit. Oh, they still are? Yeah, the, none of them are non-profit. They're all Ooh. non-profit. Oh, I don't know. That's a red flag to me. Well, I worked for non-profits. It just means you don't, your board of directors doesn't make any oh. money. Now, now you're a red flag to me, too. But yeah, that's what <laughs> I liked working for non-profit institutions. Uh, yeah. Because it didn't matter. Well, mm. we had set, you know, we had set funding. Right, right. So that's why we were a good third party, because it didn't matter who was, when we proved a side right, it didn't matter to us. Right, it didn't, not, not it, to you Because our check's the same. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Huh, there's a lot to peel back here. There's a lot to peel back. But their institution does come out with all kinds of cool, uh, well, the, the SWIR comes out with all kinds of cool, mostly energy sources right now is what they've been working on. Which is Or good. coming out. Which is very good. Uh, I know they had, I'm not a big engineer guy, obviously, but they had some super high-end lubricants I don't understand for industrial. Mm-hmm. And they did some stuff for the space program. Mm-hmm. Which and is pretty impressive. They just were doing, they, they just do stuff, it seems like. Yeah. And which is a cool organization. And I think that's because it's a nonprofit and it has X funding. Mm-hmm. Here's what you get for the year. Here's your cruise. You know, what do you guys want to work on? Right, yeah. You come out with something. You come out with something. See, I'm wondering if they use like nonprofit organizations like that to, hey, let's build up a car that runs off water, a motor that runs off water, and you guys figured it out. Well, now we'll take your design. Well, now we need to make it, you know, economy efficient or whatever excuse they have. And they can just put this thing on the back burner for. As long as they want well, to, they, they, they mean, have patents. They use patents. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but you can hide things behind patents, right? Or make sure no one else can make things. Well, the patents still exist. You should be able to find the patent. But gotcha. the CIA does pull patents. Yeah, just so, yeah. Just so everybody knows, uh, I think they've pulled twenty one hundred patents in like the last twenty years. Really? Jeez. And it's normally what they claim. It's normally because it's technology they already had developed that a outside person figured out it how out. to do it yeah and they're like okay you, and they're like yes you figured out how to do this you can't have this wow because we've had it for 20 years yeah and we're using it against the russians yeah that's ridiculous if you want to you know believe what they say I, which yeah i don't <laughs> yeah but yeah the, tom slick amazing i'm in- very interesting fellow. what's your what's your, what's your feelings on it your true feelings I'd like to, he, he's one of the boys, so I see him. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think he'd fit in with our crew. Besides his incident in the Himalayas. Yeah. Everybody makes dumb mistakes, and I think that's yeah, kind of... I, I don't feel any negativity towards him for that at all. I do. Because I can understand why he would do it. Yeah, but it's definitely something a kid would do, in my opinion. Yeah. It's stealing. It's, he stole. For sure. But I, I, I don't hold him... I don't feel like... He, negative towards him and i don't know what his final feelings on if he regretted it or not you know i'm sure he did i'm sure Uh, in hindsight yeah when you're wrapped up in the moment i think things happen but that's his kind of only thing in the bigfoot community i can like i see negative pushed back towards him Mm -hmm. and i may be wrong there may be other things this is just in my research Mm -hmm. i'm not used to researching a person Mm -hmm. true yeah on neither is at all (laughs) so that was the life of tom slick if you don't have anything else to add 
No, that's. I think it's very interesting. I mean, he's gonna he's popped up a couple episodes already, and I think he'll pop up again for sure. I think so. Because I think we should definitely uh, figure out that Bigfoot expeditions and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there's something there to there's it. There's a bunch to it. Especially I just I haven't Lauren bought the Coleman. book yet. Yeah, yeah, I like Lauren Coleman's books and stuff. They're mm-hmm. nice, easy to read. And they're normally very educational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're not like written above your head. Gotcha. You're right. Mostly layman's terms. Yeah, and I enjoy. I think we need a poster of Tom Slick here for the room. I'll I kind of want that one picture with his pickaxe when he's in Egypt. Yeah. That's something else we didn't cover either. Oh, that's true. Okay. He was in Egypt a lot for reasons. I think we'll do it's Tom Slick part two. <laughs> There's a lot to Tom Slick. Yeah, because I like this stuff. Not, I mean, just his family, like his dad, too, is so, it's really interesting. Yeah, and his dad, we, we didn't talk about a whole lot on air, that his dad was very uh, open-minded. Yeah, very. And he, just a good businessman. And he, as far as I know, his dad was not into the paranormal. Mm-hmm. But not saying he couldn't be. I just think at his time, it wasn't a thing. And Tom was interested in it, and Tom went and looked in these things. And I don't, he, Tom Jr. Yeah. And Tom Sr. never seemed to rein him back in or nothing like that. But again, I don't know. It just from everything I've read about Tom Sr., he seemed to be a nice guy and just, you know, supportive of his son. I imagine if he had any pushback at all whatsoever, Tom Jr. wouldn't have been doing any of the stuff he would ended up doing. You know? Yeah, and I think you know I don't think it's because he was free once his dad died is why he started doing stuff. No, I, I think it was just because you know his family ties. You know, he didn't have any family ties now, so I can I can be in you know the Himalayas for months at a time. Right. Yeah. And who knows his dad conditioned? Who knows the relationship really? I right. Don't. I don't either. But everything I read about his dad on accident. Uh, yeah, we both, exactly. we, we both, both read a bunch about his dad on uh, accident. And I was just waiting for the Bigfoot stuff to show up. I know. Waiting, waiting. I was oh on the gosh. Oklahoma His, uh, Historian Society website. And I'm like reading about Tom Slick Sr. Not realizing I'm reading about Tom Slick Sr. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is a cool guy, but they don't mention the Bigfoot once. I'm four yeah. pages in. Yeah. And they don't mention the Bigfoot thing once. And I'm like, huh. And then at the end, it was like, you know, in uh, perceived or followed after death by Tom Slick Jr. Like, Oh, oh yep just wasted all that time oh. but no it was still a good read <laughs> oh yeah it was very fun. interesting man it just not what you were after yeah but you know i think the family i i wish he was alive today no oh, yeah me too with his money today i think it, he'd get some things done because he was we've talked about this off air and not saying like peter burns is a big name in this stuff i think a lot of people he was employing were the the high end in their field at the time but it wasn't a very developed field Okay, gotcha. I think he'd have had a lot better picks today. Yeah. And a lot more directional cooperation. Because there's a lot of more scientists in this field now, or mm-hmm. science-oriented people. Like yourself, even. I mean, very much so. Yeah. But, so I think there'd have been a lot better picks. Oh, yeah. Or not not saying, it, you know, I know Peter Burns is a really big name in this not saying anything against him but a lot of his other picks and stuff like that he was just taking the top ends of the field at the time mm-hmm. but there was 12 people interested you know it's not the hundreds or <laughs> right. thousands we have now of higher end you know <laughs> just 12 people i mean think about think about the people now that are just big names and oh in yeah Bigfoot research you can count them on like, like meldrum and stuff like that mm-hmm. like an actual you know professor at a uh, institute he'd have been i'm sure he'd have been on the crew and you know stuff like that right yeah with millions of dollars in funding behind it, yeah. We now don't have. I mean, a lot of our higher end Bigfoot research organizations are either personally funded or slightly funded. You know, they're not big money things. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about with Bigelow and Skinwalker Ranch and the Skinwalker. new guy, the new guy that owns it now, and I can't think of his name. Uh, Bigelow's buddy, but they're doing the same thing. Mm. I can't think of his name. Anyways, not Branson, right? I don't think so. I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. I'm going to say I don't know. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're putting money into it, but they're not putting millions of dollars. Right. They're not putting their, well, not just millions of dollars, but their, their time and effort, I guess. Their yeah, heart into so it. Yeah, so that's what you could say about Tom, is he was, when he could be, he was always hitting these things. Right, yeah. Big difference. Mm-hmm. Big he difference was taking in- opinions and then aiming them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he would do, from my understanding, as he'd kind of look at the group and be like, okay, what should we do next? And I know, what he, like, we talked about one of the things is, the, one of the stories, there was a lot of infighting. It's like, okay, well, he always said, this is what we're going to do. Right, he made the final call, mm-hmm. basically. 
Yeah, I'm writing everybody's checks. Yeah. And you want to cash that check at the end of the day. You're going to do what I tell you mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. I can see that. And I think if he had lived longer, he had gotten into more of these, the dog man and stuff like that. And I think he was getting there. Oh, I think naturally that just happens, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you get so close to Bigfoot, but you just can't touch it. Mm-hmm. You start. I think you might have got one if it got down to it or got really good photo evidence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been different if he would lived a little longer. For sure. I think and we could knows? have actual Bigfoot kn- preserves. Who knows what he had, you know? Yeah, and I I think they were so close when he died. And then when he died, it all stopped. Right, yeah. Not his institutions he made, because he had it set up to keep those going. But his research and... Yeah, the, the, into the cryptids and stuff like that. I just think that was a passion project he was more than willing to fund fully. Definitely agree with that. And I don't think he wanted other investors. No, he, wanted, he was like his dad. Mm-hmm. You got to... Do it corral, yourself. Yeah, and crowd the you whole You got to be in charge. Exactly, yeah. All right. I think that's it for Tom Slick for this round. For this round of Tom Slick. There's more to his story we'll get into. Mm-hmm. I got to get that book. We'll get there. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Well, I have been the mysterious Justin. And I've been the giant loving Jay. <laughs> and together we are Crypts of the Corn podcast. Stay tuned next week for more exciting tales. I don't think it'll be a person again for a while. <laughs> All right, guys. Safe week. You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.